Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. We also have had to manage with birds trying to attack us. I was stopped by the police twice. How many pair of shoes do each of you go through every year? I have seven in rotation every day. Slaves were told not to run. In marathon running, the hat trick entails three accomplishments, doing at least 100 races, running in each of the U.S.'s 50 states, and completing a marathon on all seven continents, which means marathoning in Antarctica. Now, among the fewer than 60 runners worldwide who've achieved that feat, only three are black. But check this, two of those three are St. Louis natives. And what are the odds? They're also alumni of the same grade school, Clark Elementary, a decade apart, but the very same building. Their stories are the focus of the documentary, We Are Distance Runners, The Marathon Hat Trick, here to give us a sense of what folks can expect when it screens tomorrow at the Alamo Drafthouse as part of the St. Louis International Film Festival, we welcome those two hat trickers, Lisa Davis and Tony Reed, who's also the director of We Are Distance Runners. Tony and Lisa, welcome to St. Louis on the Air. Well, thank you thank for having you. Lisa, can you tell me what it is you remember about meeting Tony for the first time and eventually finding out about your shared connections to St. Louis and the same school, though different years, Clark Elementary? Okay, well, that all did not happen at the exact same time. But um, the first time I met Tony, it was through a National Black Marathoners event, one of their races. And the thing I remember the most was that he had a lot of energy. <laughs> and, I, and I thought to myself, I, I kind of knew some of the things he had done because people had talked about it. And the fact that he was still running because it was a race and he actually ran in the race. And I just remember him having a significant amount of energy and a very positive attitude. Mm-hmm. And I think it spilled over into the National Black Marathon as the organization itself. Right. And how is it then that you came to find out about this elementary school connection? I want to say we were talking about something. Okay, I was going to be recognized. So one of the things the National Black Marathon is is recognize certain achievements. And I was going to be recognized for... Um, finishing uh, 100 marathons and doing the 50 states, a marathon in all 50 states and the seven continents. And we were talking, you know, giving a little bit about my background. And he was like, wait a minute. I was, I, you know, I went to Clark Elementary School. And, you know, we just started talking about our different connections. He started telling me about where his mom worked. And I was like, did my mom go to that school? And so, well, my mom went to Sodan. And so we just started talking about St. Louis in general. And it just basically started, I believe, because we were doing the conversation about my upcoming um, recognition in the organization for some of the achievements I had made. Mm-hmm. And Tony, for your part, uh, well, how did it feel to discover so many of these commonalities with Lisa? Uh, it was 
it, it was really interesting on one hand, um, but on the other hand, uh, I've met so many different people from St. Louis and odd places in the world that it's just something I've just kind of come to expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, with my background being in math and also in accounting, uh, I was just totally blown away at the probability <laughs> of Lisa and I both being uh, having completed the hat trick, mm-hmm. the marathon hat trick, which is at least 100 marathons, one in all 50 states and one on all seven continents. Mm-hmm. So there were fewer than, at that time, there were fewer than 50 or 60 people in the world that had accomplished that. Three of us were black. And uh, so the odds that two of us went to the same elementary school in St. Louis was just extremely remote. That is really something. (laughs) So Lisa has talked about that 2016 Richmond Marathon in Virginia, Tony, where she saw you and other runners from the National Black Marathoners Association, or NBMA, and you all had bibs on with free to run 1865 on them. Now, at that race, Tony, was your group of folks the only black competitors? Uh, yes. Uh, we were organized in 2004. And um, as we were the only national uh, black distance running organization. So even though we have marathon in our name, we've always been open to runners of all distances. Mm. So um, we always pick a location where there's both a marathon, a half marathon, and a 5 or 10K, so that there's something for everyone. Okay. And was the inspiration so, for starting this group, um, did it come out of the the lack of black runners you were seeing or um, you were running with? Uh, yes, it um, came out of the fact that we did not see that many black distance runners. Mm-hmm. And we decided that we would go ahead and form this organization. Mm-hmm. And our mission has been to encourage African Americans to pursue distance running. Uh, we offer college scholarships. And we also wanted to recognize the accomplishments of African-American distance runners. Right. Now, I mean, other than the races themselves, what other kinds of competition uh, are happening at these marathons, whether it's between people or just within yourselves? Well, I I will tell you this. I, I like to run trail and when I and I like to do distance running. And it's not really a competition, but I have been asked point blank to my face if I were like in the right place. I went to run a a hundred mile race in South Carolina. It was called the knock on wood, uh, do not finish a hundred miler in Greenville, South Carolina. And it was a hundred mile race. They had, it was all trail. It was a hundred K. There was a 50 mile, a 50 K. And so, or you can do it with a team. And so that I was, we all had a different color bib and I didn't have my bib on at the time. Mm. I was getting ready and all that. And I was by myself. I was unsupported. I was going as a solo hundred mile runner by myself. And 
Someone asked, well, what team are you in? I said, oh, I'm not doing a team. Well, you're kind of early for the 50K. Well, I'm not doing a 50K. Well, you know, the, the, right now, the 50 mile doesn't start. So I'm not doing a 50 mile. Okay, so you're here for the 100K. No, I'm actually, I pulled my bib out. I'm here for the 100 miler. And they just looked at me. <laughs> just looked at me. There was no, there was, they just looked. That's all they could do was look. And, they, and I will tell you, I came in second of all women on that race. Mm-hmm. But I was looked at as wired here. And I will tell you, I've shown up for one ultra trail run after the other being the only African-American there. Mm-hmm. And wondering is why is she here? And when I finish and finish well, it's like, oh, okay, I guess they can do that. Yes. Because I may not look like I can. And maybe I was, I'm not represented like that. But yeah, so I've had people come up, and I'm just as nice as I can be. But I'm, like, I'm in the right place, and I trained, and I'm going to do it by myself. Right. There's no, I have no crew support. I am my crew support. Mm-hmm. And this brings us then to this documentary, We Are Distance Runners, The Marathon Hat Trick. Tony, you've been distance running for many years now. And, you know, you and Lisa, clearly you've been connected for quite some time. What was the catalyst for creating this documentary film? That's a good question. The, the catalyst behind creating this documentary is kind of tied to the first documentary that I did that came out uh, this year, earlier this year, um, called Breaking Three Hours, Trailblazing African-American Women Marathoners. Um, in that documentary, the focus was on, I guess you might say, more elite uh, female distance runners. Mm-hmm. And we saw the immediate impact as far as more African-American women pursuing breaking a marathon in under three hours, mm-hmm. running one in under three hours. Uh, with this one, we wanted to focus on what I would call your, your average distance runner who worked hard and ended up achieving goals in multiple areas. So with this one, we focused on individuals um, who ran a mile, all the way up to individuals such as uh, Lisa, who have run 100-mile races. And uh, we wanted to create these positive role models. Uh, When I was at the starting line of my very first marathon in 1982, there were about four or 500 runners, but only four or five were black. And while I was in the starting line area, the white runners around me were telling me that I was in the wrong race. Mm. And that I I needed to to pursue something shorter. But they didn't know that because I had role models, one of which was Dick Gregory, who's from St. Louis. Right. And I knew that in 1976... He ran from L.A. to New York and averaged 48 miles a day over 71 days. So on one hand, I'm thinking, if he could do average 48 miles a day, what's 26.2 miles in one day? <laughs> it's nothing. And um, my other role model is my great-grandfather, Benjamin Coleman. So he was born in 1840, which meant... He lived the first 25 years of his life as a slave on the Windsor Plantation outside of Port Gibson, Mississippi. And I could just see him perhaps wanting to go further. But the slave master was telling him, 
you can't go beyond the gates. And you cannot run. And that's something they told a lot of slaves back then, you know. You can't run because if you're seen running, they're believing that maybe you're trying to escape. Right, right. So they wanted to put Benjamin Coleman in a box. Mm -hmm. And I felt that I didn't want to live in a box that other people put me in. So I always saw running as as freedom, as representing freedom, Mm -hmm. and not setting limits on myself. Uh, that's the reason why the, the logo for the National Black Marathon is, is 1865, which is when slavery ended, and thereafter we were free to run. Mm-hmm. So, Lisa, for you, do you share any of, I mean, it, obviously some of the experiences uh, you were responding there to what Tony was talking about around his first ever marathon and being told that he was in the wrong place. But are there other ways in which you relate with what he's talking about regarding you know, inspiration um, and maybe challenging uh, myths that exist about what black Americans and maybe specifically what black American women can do? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I came up in the Marine Corps. I did 24 years in the military um, for the United States Marine Corps. And so I ran some, but I never did distance running. And I would do like a half marathon, let's say. And then I found out that Oprah Winfrey, and Oprah Winfrey is a billionaire, but Oprah Winfrey is not the elite athlete he was just talking about in his first documentary. She literally, I feel like we have the same type body, you know, body shape. And so I, I thought to myself, you know, no one, and no one ever says that, hey, you, or, or say, you don't look like you can run distance. But I thought, well, Oprah didn't look like she can run distance, but she ran 26.2 miles of the Marine Corps Marathon. And so mm-hmm. that's when I decided I'm going to do the same exact thing. I'm going to go out and run a marathon because Oprah did it, and she and I have some very similar things. And so when you show up like that, you, people will tell you, I may not have been told for the marathon, well, you can't do it. But what I have been told is, you know, a lot of people don't finish. A lot of people can't do it. It's harder than what it looks. You know, like basically without telling me I'm in the wrong place, saying to me, you know, this is a, a big task. You're probably in the wrong boat. You're not mm-hmm. going to be able to row this boat. And, you know, I, I've learned from that experience, though. I, Antonio will tell you, I, I operate and maneuver under the radar. I don't share typically my goals with anybody. I, they, they see it after it's been accomplished. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that, Tony? I, I just kind of keep it quiet because people will feed negatively into you about what you can and cannot do. And like he said, I do not want to be put in the box. When I was, when people say, well, you know, everyone tries to qualify Boston, but it's hard to do. It's hard for a person who thinks they're a distance runner to run fast at a Boston marathon to qualify. I've qualified Boston five times. <laughs> but, 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 you know, when I set out to do it, I think Tony knew and my cousin, I told no one else. I kept my, I keep, I keep it wrapped tight because like he said, people will feed into you negatively and you have to free your mind. Mm -hmm. You have to free and know what you can do and just do what you know you can do. Yeah. Now in the documentary, you both mentioned different health reasons behind making distance running part of your lives. Lisa, talk about that with us. What was it that motivated you that is related to health? Okay, I was active duty, and I was 30 years old when I had my daughter, my first and only child. 
and I was outside the height and weight standards for the Marine Corps. And so when I decided to start doing something over, let's say, six miles, five or six miles, it was initially to lose weight. I had to get back within the height and um, weight standards of the military. And running is one of those things you can do at any time of the day. You know, it doesn't require anything but a nice pair of running shoes and a little bit of an opportunity. And then on top of that, my family, we have so many generational curses as far as health-wise, you know, everything from diabetes to high blood pressure, you name it, we have it. And, and most of them are medications. And so my thing is I don't want to be medicated. It kind of, I think, Tony's the same way. I don't want to fall into that trap of being uh, on pharmaceuticals the rest of my life to sustain my life. And I want to thrive in my life. And so that, and then on the, the last part that keeps me going is I have you know, anxiety due to depression. And so running helps me manage and navigate my anxiety and my depression. So mm-hmm. it's just, it's trifold for me. Yeah. You know, it helps maintain your weight and your, bat, your weight and your height, weight and standards. It helps you maintain mental, you know, and emotional stability too. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air and St. Louis Public Radio. Welcome back. Before the break, Lisa, you spoke to your health-related reasons for starting your running journey. Tony, how about you? Yeah, so when I was about eight years old, I went to uh, Camp Wyman there in Eureka, Missouri. And while I was there, uh, they found out that I was pre-diabetic. And the doctor said I would go on insulin by the time I was a teenager. And uh, every year after that, I was tested to determine whether or not I would have to go on insulin. So for me, that was really scary because... um, the thought of having to inject myself every day was not something I exactly looked forward to. In high school, we had to participate in sports two out of the three seasons, and that third season we had to take PE. So I ended up losing weight in high school and did not have to go on insulin. During that same time period, I was working at McQuarrie's Barbecue Restaurant there in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And over the course of several years, I saw the cook lose his eye due to glaucoma. Then he had his toes amputated, his leg amputated, and ultimately lost his life, all due to complications with diabetes. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't think Bill was even 50 years old. And so that really scared me. In college there at Washington University, I took a PE course and we read the book aerobics and later new aerobics by Dr. Kenneth Cooper, where there was one paragraph in the book that said diabetics who are dependent on insulin may be able to decrease their insulin intake or go completely off of it if they maintain a fitness program. So in 1976, I set a lifetime goal of averaging three miles a day of what I would say running, walking, or crawling. And I've kept a handwritten journal since 1979. Uh, Last month, while I was in Berlin, Germany, I recorded mile number 50,000. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And I am 68. 
I averaged exactly three miles a day since 1979, and I'm still not on insulin. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to say the money that I would have spent on insulin, as well as having to manage the side effects of taking insulin and things for high blood pressure and hypertension, I was able to use that money to essentially travel around the world. Mm -hmm. And to travel not just to, to show this documentary, but to run. And one of the, the elements of this marathon hat trick is having run on every continent, including Antarctica. And so I can't imagine what that is like. Um, for each of you, what was the thing that was most challenging about that particular part of the hat trick? Lisa? Well, for me, it was my seventh marathon in seven days. <laughs> so that was part of the, the challenges. I showed up there after I had already run six marathons, six days, you know, every day before that for six days. And then I had gone from day one, it was 104 degrees, and get to Antarctica, and I had on everything I own and most of the stuff I borrowed. It mm -hmm. was so cold. And then I was sick. I was so sick. I had, I think I probably was coming down with the flu or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. And so the physical challenge of that, of being sick and, you know, having my, my feet were swollen and, and then it was cold. I don't do well in the cold. And so all of that was very, very challenging. The easy part of it was it's only 26.2 miles. <laughs> sure. <laughs> That was the easy part. Everything else was the hard part. <laughs> uh, and then, Tony, how about for you? Oh, gosh, that was the adventure of a lifetime. Um, when I went there, we sailed from Ushuaia, Argentina, to get to Antarctica to run the marathon. And while I was in Ushuaia, I ran into someone from my high school in St. Louis while I was in Ushuaia, Argentina. Oh, <laughs> and <laughs> that's why I say it's a real small world between meeting people. Mm -hmm. Then um, when I got there, we we sailed, and it was cold. The ship's captain said, if you don't want to know how cold it is, plug your ears. Oh. And so I plugged my ears because if I knew how cold it was, I don't think I would have gotten off the ship to go run the marathon. Uh-huh. But it was freezing. Um, I think they said winds were up to 40 to 50 knots. And all I remember was thinking in my head, if I stop, I freeze to death. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so oh my, my whole thing was just to keep moving. Mm -hmm. And at one part during the race, uh, we were actually chased by fur seals. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Multiple and fur seals. And then uh, we also had, had to manage with birds trying to attack us because we would get close to their nesting area. So these are school of birds. So you were not oh, only yeah. battling uh, the elements, but there were also natural impediments, <laughs> winged and four-legged and, and uh, toothed. I am really amazed by the the determination that each of you have had to do what you're doing. 
What is it that keeps you going with running after you have covered so many miles? Uh, interestingly enough for me, when, when running marathons, is that a lot of times people don't expect me to finish. Right. And when I was down in Antarctica, I was the only black person in the entire race. And I realized that if, if I didn't finish, all someone had to do was say that black guy didn't finish. Mm-hmm. If a white person didn't finish and they said, well, Bob, Joe, Mary, Sue, or Bill didn't finish, you may not know who they are. So being the only black in a race puts additional pressure on you. Mm-hmm. Lisa, and have you... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And I was going to say, and when running the marathon in Antarctica, realizing that only two other blacks had ever run the marathon down there, I felt that if I had failed, then other blacks who who knew that I was down there would have decided that they were not going to try to pursue Southern continents. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Lisa, have you felt similar pressure? Oh, absolutely, yes. Uh, every ultra, uh, let me say, 100-mile race that I show up for, mm-hmm. I, I always did feel, you know, because at the end of the day, representation is everything, and sometimes I might be the only one being rep- you know, representing black people. Like he said, it's just, especially trail, we just, for some reason, we don't go to, I think we don't like to run in the woods for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> Hasn't proven to be well in the past. Right, <laughs> right. But yeah, so I, I have that. But you know, I don't. What I say to myself is, I I try to block it out because it will, you know, it'll get to you if you don't. Like he said, you had to think. He thought about that as he was running. If I fail, they're going to remember it was the black guy. And for a hundred miles, I, I don't want to think about that. But I will tell you, I did ten JFK fifty mile races. They have a book. It's like a legacy book of people who do at least 500 miles. So that's 10, G- 10 JFKs you do. If you complete them, you get into this book. There are two black women in there, two, two of us. And every time I showed up, they reminded me, there's only one more of you that has ever did it. You think you're going to be able to do it? And I will tell you this. I finished 10 J- JFK 50 miles, but I attempted 11. Mm-hmm. One of them, I stopped at mile 38. I had, I think I had run 30 races that year, and I was just in Charlie horses. I had, a, you know, I was in pain. And I did, I put, took myself out of the race. I didn't get cut. I cut myself because mm-hmm. I was injured. Mm-hmm. But I had already done seven of them. So I felt to my, I said to myself, I've completed this race seven times. It's not like I can't do it. I'm not going to do it today. I'll come back and I'll finish it. And I did my 10. Mm-hmm. I'm in the book. But people will remind you that, you know, we told you it's hard. Everybody can't do it. And this, that, and the third. But you know what? I do realize to this day I finished. And to this day he finished his races. And so we, I get the pressure, but I, I still move on past it just like he does. And you just do what you have to do. And you show them by finishing. Mm-hmm. Now, Lisa, you had mentioned how it's possible that black people avoid running in the forest has to do with black Americans' history running in the woods. And we were kind of laughing about that together, but that's a, a very serious consideration. And we have talked with another black St. Louisan 
who is big on running, um, Ricky Hughes. And something that he talked about was wearing neon running gear so that when he is running in an urban setting, people know when they look at him that he is running for sport. There's also this thing, you know, about East African runners and that there's such great distance runners among them. Do you think that some of this very specific American history has something to do with why we see more East African distance runners than black American distance runners? I believe it could be that. Um, I've been in Africa. I was stationed in Africa for almost for almost a year. And they run, we see them running for sport, but they just run, period. Like, they, they really, they just run. That's, they don't drive cars. They run on the road. They just run. They're mm-hmm. runners, and they do it subconsciously. It's like, like it's, not a, it's not a thing. I think it may be a thing now where they know I can get paid to do it, but I think everybody just grow up knowing that you're going to run. But I do believe because, like Tony said, of slavery, because of that, that has third, fourth level effects that carried on for, it's been hundreds of years, but still, some things you don't forget. I just was stopped, what, last week in my neighborhood running, I, I was stopped by the police twice. With bright lights, I'm, I'm running, I'm, I have a headlight, I got all my gear on, and they, and they stopped me in my own neighborhood. And this is Virginia Beach. That, this was I'm in Suffolk, Suffolk, Virginia. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like I'm like an hour from Virginia Beach, maybe. And yeah, they stopped me, and they said people were some two houses reported somebody going through their backyard. I'm like, I can guarantee you it wasn't me. Have you seen anybody else out here? Mm, just me, myself, and I. I've been out here running now for because you know I run at three o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. and I'm like I do this all the time. And I live. I don't live. I didn't tell them where I live. It's none of their business. But I'm like I've been out here running, but I'm not in anybody's yard. Right. No one. And so, I, and I've been stopped here more than one time. And, and, but because of that, I purposefully put an app on my phone where when I start running, there's six people who will get notified. They'll know my route. They'll know what time I start. And they'll know where, when time I finish. And if I, get, if I stop for more than five minutes, they'll get notified because it happened. And they call me right away. Hey, this says you're not running. Are you okay? Because People will still, you, you just don't know, you know. And this is the police I'm afraid of, not even common people. Mm-hmm. This is the police. Right. Tony. And, 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 go ahead. Oh, no, no. Please, please finish. I wanted to say one more thing. I think that's the reason why black people don't run, and I think it's the reason why black people don't swim. My mom would not get in the water. She was taught not to get in the water. Where, how did we get to this country? In a boat, in the water. I'm just going to leave it at that. Go yeah. ahead, Tony. Yeah. And like I said, one of the things that uh, we talked about in the past is just as uh, uh, slaves were told not to run and we shouldn't run far, we were often kind of told the same thing about swimming. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you think about it, if, if the slaves knew that they could run far and they could run and that they could swim, now you're talking about swimming across rivers and lakes and what have you to get to freedom. That is not a barrier anymore. Mm-hmm. So now that you two have accomplished so much with running, and each of you is very much in shape, what place does running have in your life? Are you running for leisure? Is there um, another 
goal that you have set for yourself, Tony? Well, my goal is simple, is not to have to take insulin or medication. So I am always running. I, I don't run every day, but I run about three or four days a week. My goal is still to average three miles a day of really to kind of round things up is to run 100 miles a month. Mm-hmm. And so I'm still doing that. Uh, my long runs are anywhere now from 12 to 18 miles, even when I'm not training for a race, because uh, I enjoy being outdoors. And I enjoy the, the mental and physical freedom that comes along with running. Mm-hmm. And that running helps develop, again, a level of mental toughness that carries on into other areas of, of my life. And Lisa, how about you? Are you do you have a, another thing to accomplish? Uh, always, always. <laughs> it's never it's never ending. It will always be the case. A week ago I ran a Marine Corps marathon. This weekend Saturday I ran a Richmond marathon. And then I go to Barbados. You know, Tony came up with this thing called the um, Five Island Challenge. And so I have Barbados to complete and the Cayman Islands and Bermuda. I've already done Jamaica and um, I've already done Bahamas, Bahamas and Jamaica. I still have Bermuda, Cayman Islands, and Barbados. So I'm doing Barbados in December, then I have two more. Then I'll finish that goal. There'll be another goal that's done. And I have Boston Marathon. I have We're going to Oakland with the National Black Marathoners in March. I have a, a marathon I'm going to run there. So uh, I have plenty. I have more than enough. I, every year I plan on doing as many marathons. I would like to do another 100-mile race, actually. Um, I've been racing up mountains. I did that this year, and I plan on doing that again next year in Colorado Springs. I could tell you there were only two black people doing it, mm-hmm. right? Only two of us uh, running up that mountain, 14,000 feet into the air, the top the top of Pikes Peak is a 14,000-foot mountain with snow and ice. And, again, I was looked at like I'm the only one in my starting corral, and people looking at me really crazy, but I made it to the top. They have video of me crying at the top. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I made it, and everybody saw me make it on my own two feet, and mm-hmm. I'm going to do it again. So I have plenty of running goals. Anytime someone tells me I can't do something, I'm just going to go out and do it. I would love, if I could stay healthy enough to do what Dick Gregory did, I would love to run across the country. When I'm finally done working completely, mm-hmm. I would love to do the exact route that he did. That would be my ultimate thing that I would just love to do. Definitely brings it back sort of full circle with that St. Louis connection. That's right. He can do a documentary about that, but yes. that's exactly what I, I'm sure, I surely would love. I've been saying it for years, though. I would love to do that. And my last question is, how many pair of shoes do each of you go through every year? Oh, my gosh. I have seven in rotation every day. And I take seven back to the shoe store probably every three months. Okay. Because I do over 50 miles a week. Wow. Tony, how about you? Well, I, I go through a pair of running shoes about once every two months. Now, that's the question that's always a loaded question because the heavier you are, the fewer miles you can put on a pair of running shoes before the the cushioning goes out. Uh, so, uh, and I weigh over two hundred pounds running marathons. Okay, wow. So I, so 
my shoes wear out faster than Lisa's, but Lisa goes through more. Mm -hmm. She's rotating through seven pairs of shoes. Lisa Davis and Tony Reed are St. Louis natives, marathon runners, and subjects of the documentary directed by Tony called We Are Distance Runners, The Marathon Hat Trick. This episode was produced, recorded, and edited by Maya Norfleet. Our audio engineer is Aaron Doerr. This podcast was mixed and edited by Aaron. Our executive producer is Alex Hoare. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.